All right, chapter 4. Ready? Everybody there? Everybody good? Here it is. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people! Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is, no pur- it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say tomorrow or today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make our profit. Yet you who do not know what tomorrow will bring, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your ignorance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. All right, keep your Bibles open there. We will reference that several times this evening. We're going to start with the first three verses. It kind of references uh, this fight inside of us, which is a good song by Red. It's a good tune. Um, this passage says that there are passions that are at war within us. This part of the passage starts by acknowledging this sinful nature that we all have. Um, I mean, think about that. Our, our very nature is that of evil. And this nature creates a, a lot of problems a lot of problems inside of us that manifest uh, in our life. Um, it's really the root cause for every bad thing or bad decision or whatever that we do. Uh, our sinful nature is selfish, and it is our nature to rebel against the rules of God. If you want uh, an example of that, flip your Bibles to Genesis 1 and read. Um, you see Adam and Eve, who really have no other outside influence than God. Right? They, don't have, they don't have parents um, who are pushing them one way or another. They don't have friends, really, unless if you count the ligers that they rode on. Um, they didn't really have an outside influence. Uh, who's picturing that right now? Adam cruising around on a liger. Yeah, for real. That's good. Uh, that should be a movie. I don't know what else would be in it, but it's not important. Um, but you see them, like, they're just created, and they have all this good stuff, and then right out the bat, 
their sinful nature creeps up and they go eat the one piece of fruit that they're not supposed to and, and thus in doing that brings sin into the world. So that just kind of shows our, our very nature is to rebel against God. We want to, to be powerful. We want to be like him. We want to know. I mean, that's what Adam and Eve, what they got in trouble because they wanted to be like God. They wanted to know the difference between good and evil. So they ate of that tree. So our very nature is, is to do bad. Um, and so this passage talks about the fact that we, we fight a lot. We do a lot of stupid things. Um, and the setup to this passage says that it's, it's really our sin nature. It's that battle inside of us that leads us to fight, that leads us to mess up time after time. It says that we desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And this part talks about our covetous, our, our jealous, our materialistic, materialistic part of our sin nature. We, we all want the things that other people have, right? I don't know if, if greed can ever be quenched. Uh, if you're greedy, you, you, you continuously want more and more and more. And even if you have a lot of stuff, you just want more and more because we're greedy and we're selfish. Uh, we want to be better. We want to have more. We want to have the best stuff to uh, to be the best, and it's because of that nature inside us that we want that, that we want to be the best, that we want the focus and the attention, that we want the power, we want all of that. And because of that fight inside us, it leads us to fight and to quarrel and, and to even sometimes murder. I mean, you've heard stories of, uh, this happens all the time, where people want something that someone else has, so they'll kill that person to get that thing. I mean, it happens all the time. Um, that's just part of our sin nature and that, that battle that happens inside of us. And then verse 3, it talks, or it says that we don't have because we do not ask. And then when we ask, we do not receive because it's because we ask wrongly. We want to spend it on our own passion selfishly for ourselves. And this is the amazing thing that, that you need to understand, is that we have access to God, right? You understand that? Tanner, are you sleeping? Okay. Do you understand that, Tanner? that we have access to the God of the universe who is all-powerful um, and who loves us very much. Tanner, do you understand that? Do you get that, Tanner? A little? We'll get it more. Um, that's a big deal. And the things that we see here in time after time in the Scripture is that um, he will bless us if we ask. Right? If we ask, we will receive. But if we don't ask, then we won't receive. And also, if we ask selfishly, then we won't receive either. I mean, so that's kind of why when you pray, how many of you have maybe prayed for like 100 bucks? Have you ever done that? Just prayed for something selfish like that? Like, dear God, give me, give me a PlayStation 4 right now. Please, I got the itch. I need a game. Right? Have you ever prayed like that? Um, the reason why a lot of those prayers aren't answered is because they are, they're selfish prayers, Right? When you ask for a PlayStation, you want it for yourself to, to I don't know, make yourself feel better or whatever. Uh, you want money for yourself. Now, if your prayers for $100 were to maybe benefit someone else, um, that might be a different story. That could happen. Um, but there's other issues when we pray that I think we need to acknowledge really quick. Um, that the first thing is, that, is the unbelieving prayer, and that's where we, we pray, and when we don't believe what we pray will actually happen. Um, and often when we do that, um, we're, we're handcuffing God um, because we don't truly believe. Uh, I mean, how many of you have done that today? Maybe said a prayer that you don't really believe God will, will answer. 
I mean, that happens all the time when we're praying for, maybe there's, you have a sick family member, and you kind of pray for them just because you kind of feel like you should, but maybe you're not really believing that God can and will do that. When we do that, we handcuff God. We, we limit God, and he's not going to answer a prayer that we don't really think he can. Does that make sense? It's a slap in the face to him. So that's a problem. The other issue with prayer is praying against the will of God. Um, if it's not God's will, simply it just isn't going to happen. And I think a lot of times when we pray these selfish prayers, it's, it's selfish, so we're asking for wrong reasons, but also it, it maybe just doesn't line up with what God wants for us right now. Maybe God doesn't, maybe that extra hundred bucks is going to make us stupid and do something dumb and lead us in a direction we, don't, we, we shouldn't be in. Um, another tough one is sometimes, I mean, we, we pray for, for family members, maybe sick family members or whatever. Maybe we're even legitimately believing, but there's still that point of maybe it's, maybe it's God's will and maybe it isn't. Maybe through the circumstances, God is planning on pulling some really good stuff, maybe even if it looks bad. Maybe the result isn't what you want, but maybe that's what needed to happen in the, the context of God's plan. So instead of praying selfishly and for the wrong reasons, we just need to kind of come at prayer um, from, from the side of his will, just asking for his will to happen. When I pray for people, the first thing I'll do is I just I'll, I'll pray for God's will to be done in the situation, whatever it is. Because um, really, what's the point of praying against his will? Um, it's not that we can't come and, and pray for healing and stuff like that, because God does heal. He, he heals all the time. Um, but to pray for his will and to focus on his will, because really that's the only thing that matters. Okay? And we're going to move on to verses 4 through 6. You adulterous people. That's the start of verse 4. That's the attention getter. Um, do you know what adultery is? <laughs> Nobody? What's up? Well, yeah, send me thoughts then. No. Well, I guess it could be. I mean, maybe. Yes, yes. So adultery basically is when a spouse cheats on their spouse with someone else. So this, this passage in verse 4 it, it calls us, it's referring to us as you adulterous people. Now, why? Why are we adulterous? Why would, why would they throw that at us? Um, because the entire point of this passage, and you see the, the heading above chapter 4 is warning against worldliness. The entire point of a good chunk of this passage is, is our relationship with the world. And a lot of times, we cheat on God with the world. We try to live in, in both of these worlds. We try to live in, in God's realm and live for God, but we also like the world and the stupid things of the world and the sinfulness of the world. So we'll try to live in that too and, and try to balance that somehow. Like we're just, like there's a line and we got one foot on one side and one foot on the other side, but it doesn't, it doesn't really work out that well. Another reason why they use this adultery imagery is because the church and the people of God are referred to as the bride of Christ. So when we dabble in this world, when we try to live in both the world and of God, we're, we're cheating on him, essentially. Um, this world is like the other guy, right? As the bride of the church, the world is, is the other guy. 
um, that we're cheating on um, against God. And God wants our full attention, obviously. He, he requires our full affection, uh, full and complete, not divided, distracted, or, or fake affection or attention. He requires all of us all the time. That's why um, he hits us with such a powerful sentiment at the beginning, you adulterous people, because he wants to send us a message of, of how he feels. Right? We are the bride of Christ as a church. We, we, I mean, he cares about us. He loves us. And, and when we kind of want to live for him and for the world, that's like cheating on him. And that's obviously not what he wants. And then it talks about this friendship with the world. That when we're friends with the world, we create this block between us and God. Right? The word enmity is used in this passage, and that just means um, hostility or creating some opposition between God and us. And when we're in the world, we oppose God and we become enemies of God. Think of that. Now, I know that probably isn't our intention. You know, we just want to have fun or just want to enjoy life, so we do whatever. I don't think we, we consciously are setting out to be enemies of God, but when we're not completely selling out for God, we're not completely living for Him, when we're kind of going back and forth, we're creating this, uh, this wall. We're, we're, be, we're making ourselves enemies of God. Um, and that's not at all what we should desire to do. The, the simple fact is that God loves us like crazy. And we exist, think about this, we exist as a means for him to express his affection. Isn't that crazy? That we exist because God wanted to love something. And he loves us so much with everything that we have. That's why he created us. And his love is shown through Jesus in sending his son to die in the sacrifice that he made. He's not going to settle for for the rest of us, for what's left over. He won't settle for a portion of our life, um, for a specific time and place. He won't settle from for 6.30 till 8 o'clock on Wednesday nights. He requires more. He wants all of us, all the time, all of our attention, all of our focus, and all of our affection. Verses 7 through 10. This is a, a cool part of the passage, too. This is kind of the challenge part. This is kind of giving us a recipe to, to kind of draw near to God. The first thing that it says in, in verse 7 is to submit ourselves, therefore, to God. I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory, but it basically means all that you are, all that you have, your plans, your dreams, your aspirations, your wants, every day, every breath, to submit all that you are to God completely. Just take one second and think about what, what that means in your life. To submit yourself completely to God. What does that look like in your life? I mean, what things would you have to do differently? What decisions would you have to make? What things would you have to eliminate from your life to submit yourself to God? That's the first part of this challenge in verse 7 is to submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And then it says to resist the devil and he will flee from you. And this is kind of a cool passage because... In it, we, we find that we have victory over the devil because of what God did, because that he has defeated him and what Jesus did, that he has victory over the grave. And because of that, Satan has no power over us unless we give him power. Does that make sense? So we have, because of God and the victory we have through God and through Jesus, we have the power in the situation, but so many times we, we kind of give Satan some room and we kind of give him some of the power to our lives. But here we see that all we have to do is if we resist him, he will flee. He will run from us. How do we resist the devil? Simply don't give him openings. 
if you live your life righteously, focused on God, don't give Satan any openings and footholds in your life, and then you'll be able to resist him, and he will flee from you. And then we talk about drawing near to God. This is my favorite part. It says that if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. Have you ever in your life felt close to God? Never? Couple? Just adults? Adults only? And Tanner? That's cool. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, hopefully at some point in your life, uh, you'll feel that closeness to him, I would hope. Um, but there's really no better feeling that you can have as a human here on this planet than, than that feeling of closeness to God, feeling like he is like right there with you, that he is fighting the battles you're going through with you. Uh, that's the best possible thing that you can feel. Um, but what we see here in this passage is that the ball is in our court, right? We have the control. It's, it is on us to draw near to God. God is there all the time. He's just waiting for us to draw near to him so that he will draw near to us. But how do we draw near to God? Any ideas? The big three? Does anyone remember the big three, how we can draw near to God? No? Have I failed? Yeah. Yes. Bible, church, prayer. Very good. So we've talked about this time and time again. Um, we draw near to God by communicating with him, by learning um, about him through the scripture, and just by being an active member of the body of Christ. Those three things working in tandem will, will make you feel so close to God. It might not be immediate, but the more that you can do that and focus on those three things, um, you're going to notice it pretty quickly. Um, but the thing is, is that if you're lacking just one of those three, uh, you're going to notice it too. Um, it's going to be way more difficult because uh, it's just, I don't know what it is, but these three things, church and Bible and, and prayer, they just work together so beautifully to, to just draw us near to God because we're communicating with him. We're, we're talking with him and we're, uh, we're opening up this line of communication with him. And when you do that, that's awesome because then it's like you're noticing his existence around you all the time every day, and that's amazing. And then when you read the scripture, you're reading his words, and you're finding out about him, and you're seeing how much he just cares about you, and this whole plan that he put in place just to draw us near to him, uh, that's ridiculous. And then when you go and actively participate in the body of Christ, when you're fulfilling your call as a Christian to, to go and to be Jesus and to uh, work with the other members of the body of Christ, Man, it's like that's, that's what we're meant to do. Um, and that's exactly how we draw near to God. And the passage goes on to talk about cleansing our hands. Um, and I kind of thought about as I, as I read that, uh, this is a means, again, to how we draw near to God. We need to have clean hands. And, and I think about just actions when I think about cleansing our hands, right? The things that we do um, need to be more God-centered. We, we need to be... Um, acting more like him. We need to be working towards a godly righteousness, and we need to stop um, kind of doing these worldly actions and deeds and these evil things, and we need to, to kind of just sell out and to live righteously with our lives. So we need to cleanse our hands, and then we need to purify our hearts. And this is talking about that, that nature of evil that's inside of us. We're always going to have this struggle inside of us with our nature, um, because we want to rebel against God uh, on some level, in some capacity, all of us do. But we need to strive to, to have pure hearts, to purify our hearts, uh, and to really dedicate our hearts to God and to the things of God, to fill our hearts with God by, by doing what we talked about above. 
And then it requires humility. To draw near to God, it requires humility. Time after time in the scripture, we are told to be humble, right? I mean, how many passages are there about humility and, and how God will, will raise the humble and how he will, he will crush the, those who aren't humble, right? But the reason why that's so important is because humility puts us in a right place, right where we belong, right underneath God and underneath other people, right at the very bottom. And that's really crucial to our lives in general and as Christians that we have ourselves in the right place, in the right order, that we're underneath God and that we're underneath other people. We can't truly follow Jesus without humility. It's impossible because without humility, we're always seeking our own needs first, right? We, 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 we kind of lose the need for God. And obviously, we can't truly follow God if we don't recognize our, our complete need for him. So that's how we draw near to God. Then we'll move on to verses 11 through 12. We okay? Do we need a break? Do we need to do some jumping jacks real fast? No? Okay. Or yes? No? Okay, sorry. Uh, verses 11 through 12 talk about, talks about judgment, and this is something that we suck at as Christians. Um, we judge people so badly. Uh, that's just kind of our, our rap. That's our reputation that we just judge people. There's a lot of people who won't come to church because they know a lot of judgmental Christians who are jerks to them and uh, kind of built a wall between those people and the church. But this verse is telling us it is not our job to judge, right? Our job is to be loving our neighbors. Um, and judgment oftentimes brings hate or ill feelings against another person. That's not what we're called to. We're called to love our neighbor. Also, an important thing to recognize is that we are sinful and we mess up. So how are we supposed to judge other people of the same, the same sin? Right, in the, uh, earlier in the, in the, I think it's in the Gospels, they talk about uh, how we, we worry so much about the speck in someone else's eye when we have this enormous log sticking out of our own eye. Right, basically what it's saying is that we are so worried about other people and what they're doing wrong, and we just kind of ignore all the, the garbage that we have in our lives, the, the huge log sticking on our eye. We ignore that, and we focus on other people, and that's easy to do because we don't like to see the wrong in us. It's a lot easy to point out the wrong in other people, but it's difficult for us to point out the wrong in us. But we can't judge other people because we experience, we, we deal with the same sin that they do. The only judge is the one who gave the law, who is worthy to judge. The one who the law does not apply because he is perfect. He is God. He's the one who decides what happens to us in our eternity. So when we, we judge, when we judge other people, we claim this element of godliness. Does that make sense? When you make a decision to judge people, you are claiming to be God in some capacity. Um, we claim that we are worthy to judge people, and that's messed up. That's really arrogant because we're messed up, we're sinful, and we have no right to judge other people. And then they wrap up in verses 13 through 17, just simply talking about life. It says in there, what is your life? I think a lot of times we, we just assume that we're going to live until we're like 87 or whatever. Like that's normal. Like that's, I don't know, like that's owed to us for some reason. <laughs> Like, we're just going to get to experience all these things that come with life, like dating, marriage, children, career, houses, vacations, traveling, retirement, blah, blah, blah. Like, all this stuff is just owed to us. Like, we, we get to experience these things. But the passage says that our life is, is like a mist that appears for a little time and then just vanishes. 
We aren't old life. We don't necessarily get to live this life. Some might and some won't. Some will live until they're 87. Some will live until they're 27, 17, 7. That's what life is. It's not guaranteed. It's fleeting. And it's unpredictable. But we live for the future. We're always looking forward to the next thing. Isn't that so true, though? When we think about the stage in your life right now, what is that thing that you're living for in the future right now, that you're planning on? I mean, maybe it's just getting up into high school, or maybe it's graduating, maybe it's college, maybe it's starting a a career, getting married, having children, retirement, whatever stage of life you're in, we just tend to look to that next thing, that next thing in our future that that we just assume is going to come. And then before you know it, it's all over, and maybe you don't even make it that far. And it's kind of depressing, but it's the truth. We aren't the giver of our own lives. We don't control our days. God is the one who is sovereign. He is the one who is in control. And the passage to say that we should be focused on God and what he wants and what his will is. When we assume tomorrow, we, we show a bit of arrogance. Like we know what's going to happen. Like we deserve life. And what this passage says is that boasting is evil. And we sin when we assume life. And I know that doesn't seem like a big deal, but it kind of is. Because you're kind of taking away from God and who he is. We need to be, live thankfully for every breath that we have, for every opportunity that you have, for every day you have on this planet. You need to live intentionally every day with God's will in mind, dedicating our life to him and to his will. Because at the end of the day, everything else we do is worthless and a distraction from what really is important. But is planning sinful? I think that's kind of the question I came to. Is it, is it wrong for us to plan for the future? Uh, we kind of get that vibe a little bit from this passage that that is maybe bad. So should we just go out and spend our life, spend all our savings and just live life? I don't think so. I don't think that we can't assume life, but we shouldn't be unprepared for it either. We need to live as good stewards of the lives that we've been given. So I think that means that we, we should plan. I think we, we should prepare, but not out of the assumption of life, but just in case. Just in case if God wills and allows our life to continue to that stage plan. But remember, and here's the kind of catch-22 part of this, remember your will, your plans, your dreams, your aspirations, your ideas, your want, they need to come after God's. We have to die to our plans, and we have to want his will to be first. We have to focus on him. And I know that seems super complicated to plan, but then to, to not really care about our plans, but we just have to spend our life finding that sweet spot where you plan, but yet you're, you're not attached to your plans, where you can drop your plan in a second to submit to God's. That's a sweet spot that we need to find. Good grief, it's eight. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I'm so grateful for your word. I'm so thankful that you inspired these dudes uh, to to write, to write from your heart, to to send us instruction and to give us a glimpse into you and to who you are and to how much you care about us. God, that we can just open up a book and see your words, to see how you love us and how you interact with us. God, it's amazing. 
I thank you for this study on James and how awesome it's been and how we uh, have just been strengthened and how we've just been kind of rocked maybe at some points and, and corrected and convicted. I thank you for what you're doing in our heart through this passage. And I pray that we would just strive to live solely for you and not of the world. I know that's a difficult place to get to, but I pray that you would work in each of our hearts or that we would get to that point where we would just sell out completely for you. Just focus solely on you. And God, that we would find this, this place in our lives where we won't necessarily be living for tomorrow. God, that we would be good stewards of our lives, Lord, but at the end of the day that our plans and everything we want for our lives would just, it just won't matter next to what you have for us and what you would have us do in our lives. I pray you would help us find that sweet spot and work towards that. God, I pray that you would just go with us from this place tonight. God, that you would just bless everyone. God, that you would walk with them as they go through the rest of this week and begin next week. That you would uh, just comfort them when needed. That you give them strength when needed. That you would, um, or that they would just feel you near them when they need to feel you near them. God, you are with us and you love us. I'm so grateful for that. God, I pray you just bring us back safely together next week that we would continue to go through your word and learn more about you. In your name we pray, amen.